Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. The swing and emotions for Packer fans and for Bear fans, honestly, but Packer fans in particular because you see the Aaron Rodgers injury. How often do you see a player go off in a cart and then come back to lead his team to a improbable come-from-behind victory? If you are a Bears fan, you're sitting around thinking to yourself, my God, we've got Khalil Mack. Look at the way that Khalil Mack dominated the first half. Deshaun Kaiser had no hope. It was one beat down after another from Khalil Mack. Strip sack, interception, fumble, uh, interception return for a touchdown. I mean, he was eating Deshaun Kaiser for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just destroying him. And then Aaron Rodgers comes in, and that 20 to nothing deficit just vanishes. One of the iconic moments of Aaron Rodgers' career, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And what's amazing about Aaron Rodgers is I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And this is an incredible quote from Ian O'Connor. Tom Brady once told an NFL coach, if Aaron Rodgers had the Patriots' offensive scheme and institutional knowledge on opposing defenses, quote, he'd throw for 7,000 yards every year. He's so much more talented than me. That's Tom Brady on Aaron Rodgers. And I think most people out there would say, well, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are the two most accomplished quarterbacks of all time. Well, Tom Brady, again, said that if he was playing with the Patriots, quote, he'd throw for 7,000 yards every year. He's so much more talented than me. 
well, how did it go for Bears fans? Avert your gaze. This was the way that game finished. Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb, and this is what it sounded like. Rodgers shotgun, three receivers right, one to the left. Snap to A-Rod. Rushes on, has time. Looking, throws, middle, yes. got his bear. Breaking free to the 50. He may go all the way to the 20 down the right side. And as Randall he's, Cobb to he's the going to the end zone, the to the touchdown. Oh, my goodness. Randall Cobb to the lead score. 75 yards. And the Packers have tied the game at 23. A little bit of a, and that's obviously the Green Bay Packers radio network, a little bit of a interesting connection between college and the NFL there. Randall Cobb making a spectacular play on Sunday night football. The day after his Kentucky Wildcats finally ended a 31-year losing streak to the Florida Gators. Good time to be a Wildcat. All right, uh, this was Aaron Rodgers talking after the game. Uh, let's play it, boys. Yeah, I felt like once I got out, back out there and the adrenaline was going, it, uh, it loosened up a little bit. But then, you know, tightened up there in the fourth quarter. I was walking up and down the sideline to try and keep it loose. But, uh, but no, we'll do tests tomorrow and uh, give you a better answer on Wednesday when I when I talk. But uh, as long as there's no major issues and I'll keep playing. Playing behind Brett Favre um, for three years, you realize um, you got to be tough to play this position. You got to, in that situation, it's about coming back out and leading and And if you can do it and deal with the pain, you should be out there. That is Aaron Rodgers. That is the story of Sunday Night Football. I'm sorry, Bears fans. You thought you had him, and then he escaped like Houdini. One of many stories in the NFL and what I thought was an improbably entertaining opening weekend of the NFL. Several different stories that I think it's worth hitting. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic down in Tampa Bay. They went for over 400 yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick did five total touchdowns, four through the air, including three of which were big bombs to Mike Evans and then two to Deshaun Jackson. I think you have to ask the question, is Jameis Winston going to get his job back? Because based on the way the Bucs played on the road against the New Orleans Saints, I feel pretty good about them having a great shot to beat the Eagles. When you looked at those three games the Bucs were going to have to play to start the season, you looked at them and you said, man, At the Saints, really brutal. Eagles, defending Super Bowl champs. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers, you thought the Bucs were going to go 0-3. I feel pretty good about the Bucs now going 2-1, and I don't think 3-0 is out of the realm of possibility. If they go 3-0 or they go 2-1, is there any way you can hand the reins back to Jameis Winston in Week 4? I don't think so. Hyped quarterback failures. All offseason, we heard about Jimmy Garoppolo and we heard about Deshaun Watson. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't make very many plays, enough not, at least not enough to get past the Minnesota Vikings. And Deshaun Watson had an opportunity to go on the road and kind of stamp himself as a legitimate contender. I know he's coming back from that injury. He only played eight games. He was mediocre at best against a really good, obviously, New England Patriots team. So both Jimmy Garoppolo and Deshaun Watson, I would say less than sterling debuts. On the flip side, Patrick Mahomes, unbelievable going to Tyreek Hill, maybe the best combo quarterback and receiver in the NFL. I don't know. It's early. 
but man, they looked incredibly explosive. The Browns. The Browns had a chance to get the win after the Steelers turned the ball over six times. The Browns were plus five in the turnover category. Ben Roethlisberger was awful. James Conner was pretty good, but man, Le'Veon Bell with the emoji that he tweeted out after the game, the Browns get a tie. This is an incredible stat that I was reading earlier about the Browns and how difficult it is to lose a game when you have got a plus five turnover margin. This is pretty unbelievable, right? When you look at the plus five turnover margin, you say, this is, this is crazy. How do you end up losing a game? This is pretty, uh, this is pretty unbelievable. This is a stat from uh, Bill Barnwell. The Browns were plus five in takeaways against the Steelers. In the time since the Browns returned to the NFL, teams with a turnover margin of plus five in, or better in an NFL game are 132-4-1. The Browns are responsible for two of those losses and the tie. So that's pretty improbable. Again, 132-4-1 and and if you are plus five in the turnover margin. Somehow the Browns went plus five and still ended up with a tie. Khalil Mack, it looked like he was going to be the story of the Sunday night football game. The Raiders give him up, and he has an incredible first half, but then Aaron Rodgers came back, and it didn't matter. Saquon Barkley broke loose on a 68-yard touchdown, but the Jags were able to hold on and beat the Giants in New York. All of those big stories, and I would say this, and I asked you as a poll question, uh, who should be the most panicked? Which team right now should be the most panicked in the entirety of the NFL? And this is our poll question. It's amazing how many people vote on these things. Which NFL fan base should be the most panicked by Sunday's results? You can go vote in this if you would like. Nearly 48,000 people have voted in this poll since I put it up on Twitter. I'm at Clay Travis. You can go find me out. Nearly 48,000 of you voted. And I gave you four options. Which NFL fan base should be the most panicked by Sunday's results? I gave you four options, okay? I gave you the Buffalo Bills, who were atrocious. Nathan Peterman was uh, awful. I think you probably have to go ahead and turn the page and give, uh, give Josh Allen an opportunity to see how he can do. I gave you the Dallas Cowboys. I watched a lot of this game because of the rain delay, lightning delay that was going on with Titans, Dolphins, and the Cowboys were awful. The Titans... Again, a seven-hour game. That game kicked off at 1 Eastern and did not finish till after 8 because of the double lightning delays. And uh, the Titans lost Marcus Mariota. We don't know how severe that injury is going to be. They lost probably Delaney Walker for the season uh, with, uh, with a really nasty, ugly injury. And uh, they got their uh, highest-paid left tackle basically in the game, Taylor Lewan knocked out on what should have been, it appeared, a penalty at a minimum for a nasty crackback block. Um, It was just ugly. It was ugly across the board, as bad of a debut as you can have. And then in the fourth spot on the four options, I had the the Arizona Cardinals. So 48,000 of you have voted. What do you think the results were? 39% of you said the Cowboys should be the most panicked by Sunday's result. Dak Prescott was not good. He was not good. He was thoroughly mediocre. I would be very nervous if I were a Dallas Cowboy fan. 35% of you said the Bills should be the most nervous, and 22% of you said the Titans should. 
only 4% of you said the Arizona Cardinals should be the most nervous. I'm going to come back to this and poll uh, the crew in studio and see what they think of that one. They can think about who they think should be the most nervous in the NFL. On the flip side, I also said we're going to hit college football. Big titles. I mean, I think that there are Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Oklahoma have so far distinguished themselves and created the most space for themselves compared to everybody else. Kentucky Wildcats beat Florida for the first time since 1986. That is why we are taking you back to 1986 and playing 1986 music for you here uh, in the show. Herm Edwards, for the West Coast waking up out there, if you are an Arizona State fan, the Sun Devils, everybody ridiculed them for hiring Herm Edwards. He is now 2-0, and beats Mark D'Antonio. Uh, Chip Kelly and Kevin Sumlin are 0-2 each for a combined 0-4. And we've been talking a lot about Texas A&M and Clemson, and in particular, the end zone fumble and that rule that came out of a Saturday night college football game. All right, I want to go to the crew uh, and ask you guys this question. I gave four options. 48,000 people have voted. If I give you the Cowboys, the Bills, the Titans, and the Cardinals, first of all, Danny G, would you agree that those are the four teams that, based on what's happened so far, people have to be the most nervous about? And if I give you those four teams, which one would you say the team has the most right to be nervous? I had the same teams written down. I I guess I would agree with the majority online right now that the Cowboys, because we expect more from Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, and it's just starting to seem like a transitional year for them without Dez and everything that's gone on inside their organization. I hope that they're able to bounce back because I feel like the NFL is a better league overall when the Cowboys are playing good ball. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt at all. Uh, Eddie Garcia, who would you say should be the most panicked? You said you went to the Chargers and the uh, Chiefs game. I picked the Chargers to make the Super Bowl. But I don't think the Chargers – look, the Chargers didn't play well defensively for much of that game, but I don't think Charger fans should be utterly panicked. Would you agree with me that of all the teams that played yesterday, those are the four that maybe the fans should be the most worried? Yeah, I'm a Steelers fan, and I I think there's probably some Pittsburgh fans that might throw the Steelers in there because of that tie with the Browns. But no, I'm not worried as a Steelers fan, to be honest with you, despite that uh, pathetic result because they just imploded with all the turnovers. Uh, I'm not trying to take a shot at your Titans, but because of those injuries and if there's something seriously wrong – with Marcus Mariota, I think if I'm a Titans fan, I'm really, really panicked today. I, I, I'd vote Titans, actually. I, I do, too, actually, because it, you might not be happy if you're Dak Prescott. Look, the Bills don't have a quarterback, and I don't think anybody really expected Nathan Peterman to be very good. I, I think it's hard to believe that he is going to be the guy in Buffalo, so I think you're probably going to turn the page and play Josh Allen, but if you're a Bills fan, you anticipated at some point that you would be playing a young quarterback, and so it's kind of a year to see whether or not that young quarterback is going to be good. If you're the Cowboys, you can say, look, we still got Ezekiel Elliott. He's healthy. We still got Dak Prescott. We'll figure out something that works. The, we, we, we got beat 16-8. to eight. We looked bad, but the defense showed flashes. And there were a couple of times when Dak Prescott had chances to make plays. That game could have changed. If you're the Cardinals, I think you also kind of feel the same way as the Bills, which is, is anybody really believe Sam Bradford was the long range long range answer in uh, in Arizona? I think most people would anticipate that it makes the most sense to go with Josh Rosen at some point. So those three teams, I can make you decent arguments for why the sky is not fi- falling. For the Titans, I I felt like the sky kind of fell. I mean, Delaney Walker is out for the year. He's been the most reliable downfield offensive weapon the Titans have had. 
uh, at any point in their history over the last five or six years. Marcus Mariota may be severely injured. We don't know exactly what happened in his elbow, but he came back in, tried to throw the football, couldn't throw it. I mean, threw two interceptions, the ball sailed on him. That looks like it might be pretty serious. I don't know exactly what it is, but anytime you get into that elbow area and uh, and you start to worry about that, it almost feels like a pitcher. You know, when a baseball pitcher has got something wrong with his elbow, something is, is awry there. We don't know what it is. And Taylor Lewan got severely injured. And your brand-new first-year head coach didn't seem like he had an idea what he was doing on the sideline. So if I were voting, I would say I'd be most alarmed by the Titans. It's as bad of an opening game as I can ever remember when you consider injuries and uh, and the outcome. Not to mention that it took seven hours to play, which is its own ridiculous story in and of itself. Um, what about you, Roberto? Who should be the most nervous? Another thing to worry about the Titans is uh, Mike Vrabel is a disciple of um – Belichick, and they're not very good, so that's another reason why to worry about. But yeah, I agree with uh, uh, Danny. The Cowboys, their offense, their offense looked terrible. The receivers looked terrible, and they're missing a key piece piece in their offensive line as well. So, I think the Cowboys are the most to worry about. And I also disagree with Danny. I, I hope the Cowboys keep sucking. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a lot of people who hope the Cowboys keep sucking for sure. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Joel, like uh, one, thanks for getting up with us and hanging out with us. And by the way, Joel's going to be with us around this time. The plan is every Monday throughout college football season. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Yesterday, I was writing uh, early in the morning when I woke up writing my column, Joel, and I said that. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and maybe I wasn't fair to Oklahoma, have been the four most impressive teams so far. Would you agree with those four as being the most, the four most impressive? I know we're only two weeks in, but would you agree those have been the four best teams in college football so far? Well, I don't think there's any question, um, in, in particular with what Georgia did at South Carolina, because, Clay, I know that you probably agree with me. I thought South Carolina was going to be better than that. Yeah. Um, and Georgia just kind of handled them. And, and from the start, you know, I mean, not every 41-17 is created equal. I mean, they, it was, shoot, it was 41-10 start of the fourth quarter. It wasn't even close. You know, they just went out there and just beat them down. And that's a South Carolina team that a lot of us think is probably, in particular with Florida's loss, the second best team in the East. I mean, Am I off base on that? I mean, no, I know you're closer I, to the SEC than I am, but I think I, that's, I, that's pretty realistic. I mean, I said in the wake of that, and, and my column that I wrote yesterday and, and earlier in the show, I said I frankly don't even know who the second best team in the East is because I think you got to give props to Kentucky for obviously ending their 31-year drought of losing an awful lot of games to Florida in a lot of excruciating ways. But Kentucky's undefeated, Vanderbilt's undefeated, and Missouri is undefeated. Tennessee, South Carolina, and Florida have already lost. Georgia looks to be head and shoulders better than anybody else in the SEC. So uh, my four playoff teams before the season started were uh, Alabama, who looks basically unbeatable. I had Clemson, who we'll talk about probably, I'm sure, here in a sec. I had uh, oh, uh, I had uh, Penn State, who got a really good win over Pittsburgh, 51-6. to And then I had Auburn. I think it's hard-pressed at this point to look at things and say, boy, I think there's a good chance. Maybe not a great chance because it's hard to go 12-0. and I think there's a good chance that Alabama 12-0 and is going up against Georgia 12-0 and in the SEC championship game this year. Yeah, I would agree only because I think Auburn's going to get beat up along the way. Their schedule yeah. just, just 
too difficult, right? I, at least in my estimation, in particular with the strength that the SEC West is showing early in this season. Um, I think LSU is going to be a really tough game for them. We'll see if they can get through that. But again, you just you, you pile test after test on. You're going to Alabama. You're going to Georgia. I just think it's going to be too much for them once they get down into that stretch run. So I, I don't think it's out of the question. You know, when, when you and I used to work that Saturday morning show, you always used to do that. You used to be like, hey, I don't think it's out of the question. You know, this team's going to go 12-0. and Remember Petros and I would get so mad? Yes, like, yes. It's hard to do that. You can't just tell them they're going to go undefeated. That's, you know, that's BS and all this stuff. It, but in this case, I hate it. I hate agreeing with you. It's like one of my <laughs> least favorite things. But I think you're right. I think you're going to get a one versus two undefeated. And if they're not, there's not going to be a second loss, right? I mean, I yes. mean 11-1 at worst is what these two teams are matching up at uh, in Atlanta. Like, let's just get to that point. And then the big question is going to be, what happens everywhere else? And are those two teams going to go again, you know, to the playoff? I think that's really – the mystery for me around this college football season because back to your original question I would fully agree with you there's only been four teams that I think have blown our socks off up to this point Alabama one Georgia two Ohio State and Oklahoma and uh, I've seen Oklahoma back-to-back weeks and we'll see what Rodney Anderson's injury might be but they're pretty deep regardless of Rodney Anderson's industry uh, injury so I think that those four teams right now are head and shoulders above where everybody else is even with Clemson's really exciting win last night so when you really break down that Clemson win Saturday night, uh, first of all, like, are you at all nervous that Kellen Mond went out and threw for 400-plus yards against that secondary? Because we heard a lot about the Clemson up front, right, how good their defensive line was going to be. But one, uh, Texas A&M gave him time to throw on Saturday night, right? There was an opportunity to stand back there. He did a good job avoiding pressure, sliding a little bit in the pocket, running when he needed to. But it wasn't as if, especially in the second half and in particular in the fourth quarter, those Clemson defensive linemen were everywhere all over him. Uh, are you more nervous about Clemson being now look Clemson doesn't have a top 25 team on their schedule right now uh for the rest of the season given the collapse that we've seen of Florida State their traditional rival they may not have anything to worry about anyway but with what you saw in that game between Texas A&M and Clemson did it tell you more about A&M or more about Clemson man that's a great question probably a little of both right it takes I've played at Kyle Field and and it takes some guts to win there we got beaten overtime there. It's just a tough location. That fan base is really good. They're very passionate. Um, and, and Saturday night was one of those rare environments. We get one or two a season, I would say, in the regular season, Clay, that are epic like that. And I, I felt like that environment was epic, right? I mean, it was supercharged. It was everything. I mean, these those Aggies, man, there's, they're, they're a unique bunch, right? They got their rings out. They're sawing off the horns. It's a tough place to play. So I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Clemson, but you are right in the fact that Kellen Mond was a guy that was a 51% passer last year. And all of a sudden he's going out there and just shredding them up for 430 yards and three touchdowns and no picks. That's concerning. There's no doubt. They weren't able to affect his timing. They weren't able to uh, affect the pocket like I thought that they were going to be able to with those uh, great defensive linemen that they have. Um, now, is for Texas A&M, let me change gears just a little bit because for Texas A&M, you can call me a hater, but I've just been too close to that program for for too long to know they do this all the time. Like this is 
so in their blueprint and in their DNA, Clay, to get up for a game like this, and then they're going to go lose a bad game at some point in the season, and they're going to be, you know, eight and four. That's just like, I'm telling you, it's in their DNA. Maybe that's going to change with Jimbo Fisher. I understand that. But we saw the one year, you know, with Manziel. We saw them play Alabama really tight at home. We've seen them play UCLA tight with Rosen. And, they, and everyone's like, man. And they, a couple of years ago, they were the number four team in the first playoff ranking before falling off the map. Maybe that was a Sumlin issue. And maybe Jimbo Fisher is going to be different. But I'm, I'm, I'm more cautious with A&M because of their history. Their DNA has been show up really big and then collapse. So when you look at that Jimbo Fisher, like, again, I've talked about and written about what he did at FSU, EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, Jameis Winston, all, and we know, we saw, by the way, how good uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was uh, yesterday with that Jameis Winston offense without Jameis Winston able to to play. All three of those are first round quarterbacks that I think owe a large extent of their success to Jimbo Fisher. Then Kellen Mond comes out and throws for over 400 yards. Is Jimbo Fisher that good? Is he a quarterback whisperer? You played quarterback. How much does he make a difference? How much does coaching matter? Do you buy into Jimbo as a great molder of quarterbacks? And if so, should A&M be optimistic given, like you said, Kellen Mond was very average last year and he looked like a world beater on Saturday night? Well, we got a couple of factors because I hate to do this, but you, you got to look at where Kellen Mond came from and who he was playing for, right? And and we have seen Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin, quite frankly, outside of unique individual ability, take quarterbacks and have them play under their ability level. We're seeing it right now with Khalil Tate at Arizona. Saturday, that game was just a, a colossal failure. They were down, what was it, 38-0 to Houston, right? So I talk about them to say maybe Mond is a better player than, than we think because of where he came from. I mean, re- remember even Brett Hundley started to go downhill at the end of his career versus what he was early in his career under Noel Mazzoni at UCLA. And then Mazzoni went to Texas A&M, and Mazzoni's never been a great quarterback coach. Jimbo Fisher, on the other hand, here's what I think makes him great. And this is one part generalization and, and another part an evaluation of Jimbo himself. Great quarterback coaches, Clay, they, they create black and whites for their quarterback. The, the last thing you want to do with that amount of speed going on around you and that amount of pressure on your shoulders is, is have any gray area. Hey, you can throw that if you like it, but if you don't, you know, maybe you can go over here, but you know, let's, just, uh, you know, let's think about playing on time. That type of coaching gets you beat, right? Get you hurt, get you beat, and you stand in the pocket and you don't exactly know what you're doing. You got to have black and white answers. You got to have an answer of they do this, I'm doing that. You know, they react this way before the snap. I'm going to change the play because I'm going to attack them here. You know, they give me this coverage, I'm working this progression. They give me the other coverage, I'm going to work this high-low bracket on the the curl flat defender. I need black and white answers, and I think Jimbo Fisher gives his quarterbacks throughout time those type of answers. You see, a, a great old coaching adage is that you always got to coach with answers, not coach with volume. And I think too much in the modern day, coaches coach with volume. Hey, let's go. Get your head up. Ah, ah, ah. Rather than, hey, if this guy does this to you, do X. If he does Y, do Z. You know, and, and I think if you, if you put that into the quarterback realm, Jimbo Fisher 
gives his quarterback answers. And because of that, they're able to go out and be successful. We're talking to Joel Klatt. Go follow him at Joel Klatt. He's going to be with us all college football season, much to his chagrin and much to my chagrin because I hate him. Um, <laughs> you can uh, also see him calling. Did you like the, the grunt, ga- by the way? Yeah, 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 that was excellent. That was an excellent addition. You can also hear him calling games, uh, obviously, alongside of Gus Johnson, the big game for Fox every week. In the booth. Yeah, you the talked about this yeah, for a sec there. You were talking about the way you coach. Everybody and their mother, including me, I don't remember what you tweeted, when the Pac-12 hires were made in the South, Chip Kelly to UCLA, uh, you had Kevin Sumlin, who we already mentioned, to Arizona, and Herm Edwards to Arizona State. Everybody's like, Arizona State's going to be a disaster. They are now 2-0. Herm Edwards beat Mark D'Antonio head-to-head, got a massive win. Meanwhile, Chip Kelly, who you watched coach uh, this past weekend – uh, is sitting at 0-2, and his team has been beaten uh, by Cincinnati, which was, uh, uh, I think, a fairly handy upset, and then just got really kind of obliterated by Oklahoma. And then you've got Kevin Sumlin, who's starting at Arizona. Everything has gone wrong. Is that something that you think is going to continue? Is it an example of the conventional wisdom being wrong? How has Arizona State thrived while UCLA and Arizona have, for, to put it simply, not? Well, Arizona State has one of the better players in all of college football, Nikhil Harry. I think that helps them. And they've gotten some really good young contributions on defense. And, and I think we underestimated Herm's ability to motivate kids, right, young men, because they're clearly motivated. They're clearly playing a more sound and fundamental game than what they did under Todd Graham. And so I think that's a severe underestimation on our part because he had been away from the game so long and he had turned himself into somewhat of a caricature on ESPN. And I think, I think that's what we all reacted to. But when he got away from that character and he was able to just be a football coach, I think he motivates kids. And I think his shtick is probably even better in college than it was in the NFL. Um, his team played really hard. Now, they, they didn't have any business winning that game. I thought Michigan State was a better team. Michigan State threw away some great opportunities early in that game late on Saturday night. But kudos to them for hanging in there and getting the win. A nice job, in, in particular, in the third, uh, fourth quarter. They scored 13 uh, points there to, to win it 16-13. Now, uh, to go to UCLA and Arizona, I'm really concerned for Arizona. I don't know where they go for the, from here. I am not concerned at all with UCLA. After being around them this week, talking with Chip, seeing their young players, knowing what that program that he inherited was and how many players ended up leaving or he had to kind of weed out in this process, UCLA is going to be fine. And, in fact, I would be shocked if they're not in the top ten in two or three years. Um, They've got that level of talent as young players. They're playing hard for them. They're doing the right things. UCLA is is on the right track. So they're 0-2. Just put it in the back of your mind. They're going to have a terrible record this year. And next year and the year after, they're going to be a very good football team. Arizona, I'm not sure, man. I mean, they had a Heisman Trophy candidate as a quarterback, and they don't know how to use him. That's what's crazy. Clay, this kid has never won a college football game, speaking of Khalil Tate, when he's thrown the ball over 20 times. And they go out there in their first two games, and they throw it 34 times against BYU and 45 times against Houston. Like, what? what are we doing? Is, is this guy not like the one of the best runners at the quarterback position that we've ever seen? Isn't he the guy that I saw run for 300 and what was it? 30 plus yards on Colorado after not even being the starter. Why aren't they using his feet? The game plan to me is, is totally over the, uh, all over the map. 
And that's why I'm concerned because they clearly don't feel like they have a direction. Even with a veteran Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback, they've gone out there and gone 0-2. So that's cause for serious concern. All right, let's talk a little bit more. We were just talking about the Pac-12 South. Stanford, I gave you four teams, and you kind of agreed with me that have been impressive. Would it be fair to say, and I know it's a little bit unfair to Washington because they had to travel to Atlanta and play against Auburn, but would it be fair to say, I think, that Stanford, with their win over San Diego State and with their, I would think, pretty dominant win in terms of control of the game over USC, that they've probably been the best team in the Pac-12 relative to both games, right? Because it's still hard to judge Washington. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I think that, you know, and I know we haven't had a chance to really discuss this, but I, I thought that, and you might bristle at this, but I thought that Washington was the better team against Auburn and and ended up losing because they didn't capitalize in those three red zone trips inside the 10. Uh, not to mention that egregious missed targeting uh, foul on, on Big Cat Bryant. Now, that being said, Auburn's a really good team. So I guess I'm saying that I, I still think Washington's very good. I don't think Stanford has played better than what Washington has played this year, but they are, one, more consistent, and two, they've, they've won their games, and they beat a San Diego State team that won 10 games a year ago. They were 10-3. and three. And, by the way, USC was 11-3. and three. So, you know, they just beat back-to-back weeks teams that combined for 22 wins last season. So that, that's a good start, and, and this is a team that always gets better as time goes on. You give that offense time to mature and gel, the run game time to mature and gel, and they're going to be better. So they, they certainly could make a run. I think they're the Pac-12's best chance for a playoff team because I still believe that the committee is going to leave Washington out regardless of if they run the table from here on out or not. All right, let's go to uh, the Big Ten. And, and a lot of talk coming into the season on the Big Ten East and I want to start with Penn State because I think they've been – well, first of all, we know Ohio State's been really good. Do you think Ohio State will get challenged this coming weekend down at TCU? Yes, because Gary Patterson always plays well in those big games. Their defenses are always very good. That's going to be one of the best defenses that Dwayne Haskins is going to see. Um, and, and we'll see about you know how a big game environment affects that coaching head coaching role on the sideline. We, we haven't had a crucial timeout get called by Ohio State yet. So what is that going to be? You know, I mean, I mean, Greg Schiano wants the timeout called. Maybe he wants them to punt it. You know, Ryan Day wants to go for it on fourth down. All of a sudden there's arguing going on. We don't know yet. So I, I, I do think that they're going to be tested against TCU. But the East in general has been very poor. Um, I think that Michigan was probably labeled a little bit too early by guys like you. Um, because you guys love to hate on Jim Harbaugh. For well, some to be reason, fair, which is fine. Nine and nine. Now they're ten and nine because they got the win over Western Michigan. But you know, college football going ten and nine when you are the third or fourth highest paid coach in college football. I mean, my my position is not that Jim Harbaugh is a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. It's that putting him in the same criteria as. And frankly, I think there are three coaches that are head and shoulders above everybody else right now. Nick Saban, no surprise. Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney. I think those three have basically created space between themselves and everybody else in college football. A lot of people wanted to put Harbaugh up with those guys, and I just thought that was ludicrous. Yeah, I don't want to put them put him up with those guys. I, I will tell you that that, that record, while I will, I will not try to defend it, I think that they have played substantially better and more competitive than where they were. You know, they're digging out of a hole that was I think deeper than most people think. 
Now, because he won 10 games his first year, everyone thought like, oh, well, this is just going to be, Michigan is going to compete at the top level. I would not argue that. And I still think that this year is, is a wait and see. Um, but I do think that they're way better off. I think that they are going to be a perennial top 12 team in the country, maybe not top three, like you mentioned. Um, and they are paying him that way. But let's remember, they're paying him because of where they were. Remember, I mean, and, and this is what I bristle at is when guys like Whitlock get out there and pro- compare him to Brady Hoke, which it, to me is just it's just so laughable. I understand you can present numbers that resemble Brady Hoke, and you've done it. Yeah, I've seen your Twitter. You've oh, done yeah. It. it drives me nuts. They are <laughs> so much better now than they were. And if you don't see that, then, then you're blind. And if you do see it and, and you want to tweet those stats out anyways, you're trolling, which I know you are, which is fine. Which is, you're good at it. You're like one of the best. Um, but that's my position on Michigan. I do think that they're better than people think this year. The, the rest of the East, Michigan State has not played well. I thought Penn State played really poorly against App State and then turned it around and played very efficient and great football against uh, Pitt in a rivalry game. So I don't know where that division's at, man. Like, I, they get the win against Texas with Maryland, but I, who knows? Who knows? I thought it was going to be the best division in college football. And I'm sitting here, and I can tell you unequivocally that the SEC West is the best division in football, and there's no doubt in my mind right now. All right, let's go down to Alabama because you played quarterback. You've played it for a uh, for a long uh, time. You've studied it, everything else. One of the most remarkable things I think about Nick Saban has been that a lot of the guys who have been really successful, you can point to him and say, okay, he's had a signature quarterback, right? You had, uh, with Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, which really defined his era down at Florida. With, uh, with I know Dabo's been really successful without him, but really it was Deshaun Watson that put Clemson football on the map. With, um, with Nick Saban, who I just named those three coaches, I know there's some A.J. McCarron truthers out there, but by and large, Nick Saban has done it without ever having a first or second round caliber talent. When I see Tua... I say, oh my God, this guy is a definite, assuming he stays healthy, definite first or second round quarterback. You know a lot more about the quarterback position than I than I do. Am I correct in the way that I watch it and see his talent? Or to you, is there still some uncertainty about how good he is? Oh, I think he can be that good. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, he still has some, some progressing to do. He can play a little bit out of sorts at times, and he can get a little bit wild, um, but he's confident. And, and so... What I'd like to say, and when I talk with, with guys in the NFL, they'll say it this way. He's got a little bit too much high school in him, where you can go out there and, and schoolyard it at times. And he can do that, and he can still do that out at Alabama, namely because he's got great players around him that are better than the players that he's playing. Um, got himself in some trouble in that national championship game and was bailed out by that great throw, which was really a, a poorly played defense by the safety on that half of the field. But your sentiment is exactly correct. Everybody wins a national championship with what I would call transcendent quarterback performances. Whether that quarterback is transcendent over his career is really irrelevant. They, they have transcendent quarterback performances. And, and everybody since Nick Saban has won his, won his first title, everyone that has popped up and won a title has had that. You had Jameis Winston at Florida State. You had Cardell Jones play unbelievable football. By the way, maybe the greatest running back stretch in, in a three-game stretch history with Ezekiel Elliott yep. and Ohio State's run the national title. And you had Deshaun Watson. So 
those guys carried their teams and those performances carried their teams. And, and Saban's the only one that is building a team every year that's going to go win the national title, regardless of how their quarterback plays. He won a national championship with Jacob Coker, for goodness sake. Like, that's disgusting. I got to tell you, as a guy that thinks that that's the most important position on the field, that is a disgusting truth to me that you can win a national title with that level of quarterback play. This goes to show you how good his program is around it. The fact that he's got to a, and to a can be, not only a transcendent quarterback over his career, but have transcendent performances tells me that this year we might all be playing for second place. It's going to take a pretty severe upset for somebody to go in there and beat Alabama uh, at any point in the season. And that even remains in, in the playoff as well, save for some injuries. All right, you have got USC Texas, I believe, this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Seven, uh, seven o'clock Eastern, am I right? Or eight o'clock Eastern on Fox. Yeah. Uh, massive right. game. It was a great game last year. Uh, Texas lost. Texas is sitting at one and one. They didn't really put away Tulsa, uh, right? I mean, they were not very good against Maryland. Let's start on the Longhorn side. And we're talking with Joel Klatt. He'll be calling the game. USC Texas is going to join us every single Monday uh, during college football season. What? How big is this for Tom Herman at Texas? I think it's big for both guys, candidly. Um, I think Lynn Swan is looking for a reason to make a change. At, really? Uh, at, USC. at SC. So, okay, let's, let's, start, yeah. let's start with – let's go to USC since there's a lot of people waking up, the Trojans waking up on Monday morning uh, right now across L.A., and they're, they're not very happy with the way things went against Stanford. They got a young quarterback in. Who does SC think they could get that's better than Clay Helton? I mean, because that's the question yeah, I, I always like I to know. ask. That's like, a great question. And I live next to all of them. Right, yeah. like I see the the lights just starting to pop on at all these houses r- around me right now as I sit here. And Clay, like they all, I think that I think that USC still has an overinflated view of itself based on the run that Pete Carroll made. That was yep. a long time ago. That was a really long time ago. We're talking about you know 13 years since the um, USC Texas national championship game. That's a long time. You know, things change. They've gone through the sanctions. They're now on the other side. And when I watched that Stanford game, I can tell you right now, I was shocked that the, the clearly the better athletes were on the Stanford side. And I thought, like, clearly, outside of a couple guys, right? Akasadric Ware is pretty athletic. Uh, Amon St. Brown, the true freshman wide receiver, is pretty athletic. But, man, I'm like, they used to have some dudes, right? They were in that top three. They were in that that realm where Georgia and, and Oklahoma and Ohio State and Alabama live, and now they're not even close. And I think that, that burns at Lin Swan. He was not the one that gave Clay Helton the permanent job. Remember now, that was Pat Hayden right before Pat Hayden kind of stepped down. And so I think Lynn has always wanted to get his guy in there, but your question is answered via deafening silence anytime you ask it to a USC person. Who are you going to get yeah. that's better than Clay Helton? And that's to Definitely me the question you silent. always have to ask, Joel, because I always say coaching searches. You think about the ceiling, which is the guy that you hope in your ideal world. Like Washington, when they hired Chris Peterson, they had to be like, holy crap, you're telling me we can get Chris Peterson? Like That was the ceiling of ceilings for a Washington program hire, right? You and UCLA with Chip Kelly. Yes, right? exact I mean, same they, situation. They and then to me, Clay Helton at USC and like Coach O at LSU are absolute floor hires, right? Like we know this guy will take the job 
And if we can't find anybody better, we will take it. So I guess what I'm saying is when I hear that about SC, I think, okay, who are the guys out there that are available that they think they could get? And there's not an easy name to me that Lynn Swan could go out and hire and you'd be like, okay, boom, the Trojans are back, baby. Well, and this is the reason why I, I get a little bit frustrated with those people that talk about Clay in that respect is because, you know, when was the last time you were winning the Rose Bowl and winning the Pac-12? Well, yeah. because he did that in his first two years, right? So, who, like, again, you got to have a real re- realistic view of, of who you are and where you're at. Because at this point, there is not a guy that you can go get that's going to be better than Clay Helton because Clay Helton's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's got a kid that's, you know, supposed to be in high school playing quarterback, and and it shows. And it shows. They're a very young team. They just lost a dynamic quarterback that meant almost everything to them. Now, what I think is they have to do is they've got to get way better in terms of their creativity on offense. T. Martin's got to do a way better job as their offensive coordinator. They need to get tougher on the offensive line. They got to get much tougher on the defensive line, stopping the run. Those those three things I think would make USC way better, uh, far better than if you tried to go out there and take a stab at some sort of change just for change's sake. Remember, you should always change. And this, this is across the board, right? In your life at home, as you're, as you're driving around or you're sitting in your cubicle, you should always try to change for the better. Never change for change's sake. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? No, it's great change advice. Change for the better always. Never change for change's sake. Uh, it's really well said. So they would kind of come back around to this game again because before the season, I'm sure when they picked this game, they were hoping, you know, they were expecting that Texas would beat Maryland and that they would certainly beat Tulsa and they would be 2-0. and I think they were probably hoping that, and, and by they I mean Fox and also just people who love college football, that Stanford would, that USC would have a good chance to beat Stanford and you'd have two programs 2-0. and To me, the storyline here is one of these programs is going to come out of this game and be 1-2 and two, and their fan base is going to be furious. The team that's 2-1 and one is going to feel a little bit better, but to me, the team that's 1-2, and two, it's like, it's not so much, you know, the difference between a win and a loss, if you're 2-0 and oh and one's 2-1 and one and the other's 3-0, three and one, three and oh, everybody's not angry. There's going to be an element of anger regardless, but the 1-2 and two program, the coach is going to be under a lot of pressure. Well, I, you know, I, I talked about the pressure that USC and, and Clay Helton is under, and then you have to look at it from the other side of the coin. Can you imagine being Tom Herman, losing to Maryland, having your quarterback back, having all the expectations, being a top 25 team coming in. It's your second season. Can you imagine losing to a kid that's supposed to be in high school? I do want to ask you about this because I'm not sure what your opinion is. The fumble rule back through the end zone. Obviously a huge oh, story yeah. from Texas A&M Clemson. Uh, you, you reach for the goal line, ball goes out of bounds, the other team gets the ball back potentially at the 20 as happened for Clemson. It looked like it was a little bit uncertain where exactly that ball went out. Would you be in favor of changing that rule or leaving it as it exists today? Uh, I would love to change that rule. And, and I want to talk about that play in particular because I was a little bit surprised at, at you know, the commentary, to be quite frank with you, because remember, it only has to go over the pylon. You know, it would have to be totally outside. It's just like if you were holding the ball and it just grazes the pylon, that's a touchdown, right? So that's why the, the official said it. And, and on their pylon cam, that ball looked like it went directly over the camera, did it not? 
I thought it went a little bit left, but I, that may have been me watching it, wanting the game. I always find myself rooting. It's hard not to be biased. Like I always root for the game to be as good as it possibly can be, and I hate for a situation to end like that. So it might have been – I always think to myself, am I being 100% honest or am I looking at it in the way that I hope it's going to go? I would have thought it went a little bit left, but I, I think it's an interesting debate uh, more so about the rule than it is that particular play because I don't. You know, ultimately I, I they got a shot say, to throw into the end zone for a tie. I do. I do think that the rule needs to be changed, and and I've thought a lot about it. And I think that the best way to change it is that you you do the exact same thing that the ball comes out to the twenty. You just don't award possession to the opponent. Yeah. So if you're down there and you fumble it that's out of good. the end zone, you've got to go back to the twenty. Yeah. And no, so, I think that's a great solution. Ball. See, why should you reward them for a recovery that they never made? That's I agree. What I, that's what I don't think is 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 right. But but I don't think it should go to the spot of the fumble, right? Because you did something wrong. You fumbled the football, so you should be penalized for that. We'll go back to the 20, and now it's first and wherever the sticks were. If it was first and goal, then it's first and goal from the 20. If it was, you know, if you had made a first down, then it's first and 10 from the 20. Whatever situation it is at that point, if, if the first down marker was at the five-yard line, then it's first and 15. But you go back to the 20-yard line. Joel Klatt, we'll talk to him again next Monday. You can watch him this Saturday, USC on the road against Texas. Thanks, my man. You got it, bud. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. 